Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I they're a couple of absolutely self-involved bull artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. All right, nothing quite like a pay-per-view recap on the Anik and Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. Sunday, May 7th, the year is 2023. It is episode 408 of the Anakin Florian podcast. I'm here in New York City doing a little bit of voiceover work on the back end of the pay-per-view. My man Ken Flo in his beautiful home studio. Nine Peruvian fighters in UFC history, and Kenny Florian does not count. That's pretty <laughs> messed up that you don't count. That's, that is messed up, dude. Well, I wasn't born in Peru, so I, I get that. I understand. But both my parents are from Peru, so technically, if I wanted to, I could have my Peruvian visa just whip it out but uh yeah no, so cool. i asked our producers at candido in our fighter meeting when i learned that we were going to be showing this graphic of peruvian fighters i said does my man can't flow count and he said well did kenny ever walk out with the peruvian flag and i said as the president of team florian i can tell you he did not but you texted me after we mentioned you verbally on the broadcast that yes. you did have the peruvian flag on your shorts at one point a, a few times a few times dude so i mean i i, I don't does that like a half point do I get like a little mention at the bottom, a little asterisk? Zach Candido, let me know. I yeah. think that shit counts. <laughs> Peruvian-American Kenny Florian. Were both your parents born in Peru or no? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, sir. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, this kid's a Peruvian-American. <laughs> Plenty more on that coming up. A lot to get to today. We will recap UFC 288. Ray Longo going to join us here in about 20 minutes or so. And Sean Sheehan Ooh. was one of many people putting Ray Longo over on social media this weekend. What a tremendous coaching career for Ray Longo. And this weekend, I think, really served to put a capstone on that. We will talk to Ray about all of that. And uh, just a tremendous weekend across the board for the UFC. And I want to begin, of course, with the main event, Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. I have not had a chance to watch this fight back, which I guess is neither here nor there. But the UFC Bantamweight Championship goes to a split decision. Aljamain Sterling emerges with his belt. He becomes the first Bantamweight champion to thrice successfully defend this title. Now, one of the judges gave Aljamain Sterling round five. I thought round five 
was the easiest round to score for Henry Cejudo. Now, I could be wrong, right? But had this judge scored round five for Henry Cejudo, as many of us saw it for Henry, we'd have a different result today. I thought the fight was close. I did think Aljamain Sterling had a three-to-one lead going into that fifth round. Overall thoughts on what was a very technical, counter-wrestling, counter-attacking type main event over the weekend. It was a beautiful fight. Uh, so I, I'd like to put this into context, just coming from where I came from, where you know it was often repeated that 135 pounders, 145 pounders, 155 pounders don't really sell fights. They don't sell pay per views. Um, you know, you had a sold out arena there between because of these guys, um, and it was a fight that was highly anticipated, not only from the hardcore fans but from the fans in general. And I think that's a big moment in the sport and I think it's important to appreciate that and and understand that you know that was not always the case in mixed martial arts and to see where this sport has come I I think was a a great achievement we had two fantastic fighters going at it two very different styles and I I thought that um, it was a great performance from Henry Cejudo a guy that did not fight for over three years for three years and still put on a phenomenal performance did he win the fight I didn't think so. I thought Al Jermaine, uh did an excellent job of winning the rounds and doing so at the right time. And that was the big concern for me coming off this long layoff for Henry Cejudo was making those right decisions during the fight when you need to. Um, I, I was unsure of that sharpness and that decision making coming off that three-year layoff. That absolutely matters. It's one thing to do things in training and to stick to a game plan. And I thought he did that, but to make the right adjustments during the fight, I, I think is what hurt Henry Cejudo. Um, it was close, uh, but I when I went back and watched it, which was just a couple hours ago, John, I actually scored it four rounds to one for Aljo. Um, yeah. I, ha- I had all three rounds going into it. Fourth round, I thought, was a much better start for Henry Sudo. He was moving forward, but I thought that last uh, series and some of the exchanges were in Aljo's favor as well. Round five, as, as you mentioned, John, absolutely was for Henry Cejudo. I don't know how you can't see that for Henry Cejudo. The judges' scorecards were all over the place. They really were on this weekend. We had an earlier prelim between Chaos Williams and the Peruvian, Rolando Bedoya, and one of the judges scored at 30-27 to 27 for Rolando Bedoya, who ended up on the wrong side of a split decision. I thought he deserved to beat the near 4-1 to favorite, Chaos Williams. So largely the judges were all over the place as far as I was concerned on Saturday night, but I do believe the rightful winner won the main event. Aljamain Sterling is still your UFC Bantamweight champion. I want to stick on Henry Cejudo, though, for a second because I just love watching this man compete. He's just such a great competitor, master strategist. It's amazing to dive into just how meticulous his training camp is. And let's say Henry Cejudo made a half a million dollars on Saturday night. Maybe he made more. Maybe as a challenger, he got pay-per-view points just given his status, never lost the belt in the octagon. I got to think he spent a quarter of a million dollars, if not more, on this training camp, Kenny. I mean, he brought in so many different people from all walks of life. And uh, I just think mixed martial arts is better with Henry Cejudo, Cejudo in it. Like, yeah, he's cringy. Yeah, he's annoying. But as a fighter, man, I just think he's special. And I really enjoy watching him strategize, watching him compete. There's no question that he's special. Um, I think that the level that he brings to the octagon, I I think that uh, the 135-pound division needs him. Um, And 
he answered a lot of questions in his post-fight press conference, which I, I went back and watched um, earlier today. And, and he, he's a competitor. He, he's doing this for no other reason than wanting to be the best. Um, he, he wants to be the greatest of all time. He wanted to go in here, beat Aljo, beat him handily, like with with uh, without any doubt, and then go up to 145 pounds and beat Alexander Volkanovsky. Like that's what's going on in his head and how he sees himself. And while he didn't pull that off, I, I thought that he had an amazing performance. Uh, round two could have gone his way as well, yeah. in my opinion. When I went back and watched that, I think there's a case there for sure. Um, but you know, did he win the fight? No. And and, and again, if he wanted to do something like uh, go up and fight Alexander Volk. Kodofsky. I think, yeah, he needed to not only beat Al Jermaine, but beat him um, without any doubt. Uh, go out there and almost dominate him right. in order to do that, considering he's the 125-pound former champion, 135-pound former champion. So, yeah, but still, the, the kind of athleticism, the kind of intelligence that he brings to the octagon – uh, I think it was uh, it was great to have him back, and I hope he does stick around because I still think he has a few more excellent years in him. I couldn't agree with you more. As far as what weight class you would like to see Henry Cejudo in, I think some people, Brett Okamoto and others, had suggested maybe he moves up to 145 pounds. Max Holloway is without an obvious opponent. He has called for the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. I think you could do worse than Cejudo versus Holloway as a featherweight main event. But Henry's small, man. I just am not sure that the long-term future, even three more fights, are going to be at 45. I would like to see him try to regroup at 35 and make one more concerted effort at the Bantamweight title. Your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, in today's modern UFC world where you have – you know, huge guys in the divisions. Like, again, you, you saw Volkanovsky go up and compete against Islam Mahashev. Now, he, he, he did great in that one, too. But I think size, length absolutely matters. And I think the same case for Max Holloway, who went up to 155 pounds when he faced Dustin Poirier. Right. You know, weight, size, mass absolutely matters when you're talking about two guys colliding there inside the octagon. And, um, yeah, I, I, I would not want to see him at 145 pounds. I think 135 pounds is the perfect division for him. I know that's not an easy cut necessarily for him because he is very muscular. But that's his division. That's where he belongs um and who knows man you get a fight or two and he could get back in there either against aljo or whoever is the yeah. champ at that point because i know aljo uh is considering a move to 145 pounds as well right now henry cejudo can monetize his youtube channel he can get back into real estate which seemingly was what he was going to do flipping houses when he left the ufc but the best place for him to make money is the octagon and i do believe one man's opinion that this return was financially driven. Certainly he's a competitor. Certainly he's chasing further greatness. But Kenfo, let us be crystal clear on this. Other than a Conor McGregor fight, a fight between Henry Cejudo and Sean O'Malley at 135 pounds would be one of the biggest moneymakers for the UFC ever, 155 pounds on down, at least 145 pounds on down. That's probably a big seven-figure payday for Henry Cejudo as the champion getting pay-per-view points. So I think a big impetus for the Henry Cejudo return was that he liked the matchup against Aljamain Sterling and that Sean O'Malley carrot was dangling. Sean O'Malley yeah. is the needle mover in this Bantamweight division. He's one of the five biggest needle movers in this company. And had Henry Cejudo gotten that fifth round on Derek Cleary's scorecard, 
Henry Cejudo's probably making four or five million dollars fighting Sean O'Malley in August or September. <laughs> right, exactly. And I'm sure he probably saw that path as well. There, there's no doubt. I mean, that's a very strong point. Um, he, he could make a lot of money in this sport. And, you, you know, I think the path to to that is obviously Sean O'Malley. So very interesting there. I mean, how many houses you have to sell to make $5 million? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. So you may have heard us say on the broadcast, August 19th, 2008, Henry Cejudo wins the Olympic gold medal. He told the UFC he would like to compete on August 19th, 2023, 15-year anniversary of him winning the gold medal. And we were able to let the, the, uh, the masses know that UFC 292, August 19th, indeed is targeted for TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Wow. To that end. Dana White said at the post-fight press conference that he would like Aljamain Sterling to fight Sean O'Malley in Boston at UFC 292 on August 19th. Now, that is like 13 weeks away. And when Sean O'Malley went into the octagon, however wayward a decision that was, and shout out to May Rob Dwellish Willie, rest assured he's going to get plenty of shine during the Ray Longo minute. May Rob <laughs> stole the jacket and stole the show. But for Aljamain Sterling, Kenny, who just had probably the worst weight cut of his championship reign wow. to turn around in 13 weeks. I do think this is strategic. You know, Aljo in the octagon was like September and you got a champion who's willing to turn around in four months. I would take that every day of the week, but it does seem as though there may be a push promotionally, a strong arm to try to get Aljo to fight in Boston, August 19th. He has said he does not want to do that. Wants to fight in Las Vegas. Hmm. We'll see what happens. But the next fight is going to be Sean O'Malley and Aljamain Sterling. And uh, I do hope maybe it can happen on the champion's timeline. I'm curious what you think about that particular matchup and how both guys will hold up in the respective strength of the other. Yeah, I, I think that that still, in my opinion, if I'm looking at it from the outside in, looking at it, honestly, I still think that gives – Aljo plenty of time. I, I think it gives him plenty of time to chill, relax, uh, get big again, you know, eat the food that he wants for a little bit and then get right back into training camp. Um, so out of time wise, I, I think that that works out. And I think that would be advantageous for him. Um, for O'Malley, I think that he's an excellent striker. He's going to have that length and reach advantage over Aljo. It all comes down to can Aljo go in there, bridge that gap, and take him down? Now, O'Malley is an improving grappler, no question about it. I would say there are certain aspects of his game that might be even dangerous, you know, with, with his submission game. And but I don't think he's going to be a threat towards someone like Aljamain Sterling on the ground. I think that's right. where Aljo can not only win that fight, but actually dominate and just look um, beastly in the process and then go, yeah, motherfuckers, I'm going up to 145 pounds. I've cleaned out the division. Take it easy. Right. And then opens the door for his buddy, Marab Duelich. Really? Right. Now, on the feet, though, Again, O'Malley is just sharp. He brings that length and he knows how to utilize it. His speed, his power, he knows how to find your chin. He's extremely crafty. Uh, and you know, if you're facing someone like Aljo, you're going to be working on your grappling. And I think that's been the big focus for him and his camp, I'm sure, for the last couple of years is, right. hey, we have this huge striking advantage. Let's just make sure our grappling, our wrestling is good. Um, and Hey, who knows? Maybe he, he's that good of an athlete that maybe he does come back and that is short up and he surprises everybody. But, 
you know, there's no question in my mind that as far as a striker in that division, there's very few people that can contend with him there. Corey Sanhagen may be the only one who can kind yeah. of move with him and, and, and hang with that kind of style. But, um, dude, that's, that's a phenomenal fight. So Sean O'Malley is a willing and able grappler. He did compete against Gilbert Melendez in Quintet Ultra. He was very game. I'm not trying to compare Gilbert Melendez's ground game to the human backpack, Aljamain Sterling. But to your point, what the fuck do we think these guys have been doing for the last yeah. two years? His jiu-jitsu coach is a former Aljo opponent, if I'm not mistaken, Augusto Tanquino Mendez. you got to think everything they've been doing is to try to shore up those defenses to avoid getting their back taken, right? So I do feel like Sterling is going to have a decided advantage on the ground, but I'm not sure it's quite as pronounced as O'Malley's advantage could be on the feet with the length and the size and just the athleticism overall. Like, go see Sean O'Malley shoot a basketball. This is a plus athlete in every sense. Now, I do believe Aljamain Sterling is going to be the betting favorite, but I think it's a very competitive fight, and we may not have to wait all that long for it. I have a few other things I want to get to on Aljamain Sterling. Now, I got to stop with the superlative conversations. I got to stop with all the greatest of all time stuff because I just get myself in trouble, right? But I had said before this fight that if Aljamain Sterling beats Henry Cejudo, he'll have the most bantamweight wins in UFC history. He'll have the most title defenses in UFC history, and he'll be the greatest bantamweight of all time. I don't necessarily think I was looking at the greatest bantamweight of all time on Saturday night, right? He gets the win over Henry Cejudo. It was close. Certainly in terms of his accomplishments, I feel like he slightly edges over Dominic Cruz, who competed in a different era, largely in the WEC. But I'm not willing to anoint Aljo right now today, with all due respect. I don't necessarily want to get your thoughts on that as much as I want to get your thoughts on some of the venom for Aljamain Sterling. He was competing in the tri-state area, yeah. right? And seemingly had the crowd during the week. But yet all of a sudden, Kenny, the fight begins. And about an hour from home, everybody's fucking chanting Henry. And then when the decision is announced, Aljamain Sterling is getting booed in the tri-state area. And then when Henry Cejudo gets a microphone in his face, everybody starts cheering again. So... I have said oftentimes that the most basic human need is to feel appreciated. And as great a night as this was for Aljamain Sterling, and as thick as his fucking skin is, Ken Flo's not getting booed at TD Garden in Boston. And I think that had to sting a little bit to not yeah. be the fan favorite at home. Yeah, no, I'm sure it did. Uh, that that must have been tough for, for Aljo in that regard. Uh, but, uh, hey, listen, at the end of the day, he's got the belt. And, and that's what matters most. But you're right. I, I think this is this um, story that sometimes surrounds fighters, right? And they, they tend to have certain themes, which I also find extremely interesting. And the theme for Aljo has been there is no easy path. No matter what, there's always something that comes up for the guy. Um, but I think this is also what makes him so damn tough and resilient. He has had this path towards uh, the belt, towards being a champion in the UFC that hasn't been this direct line. And, and I think that for a lot of people that end up being very successful, you know, we, we, you know, we'll look back on this and we'll say, oh, man, he had this championship run that was just perfect and beautiful and so smooth. But the reality is uh, rarely is a path to the top this straight line. It is often this roller coaster ride. And man, has it been a roller coaster ride for yeah. Joe. No matter who he beats or whatever it is, there's always people that are going to dispute it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's why you have this controversy and perhaps this dispute over whether he is the greatest bantamweight of all time. For me, after beating someone like Henry, the quality of a Henry Cejudo, who has yeah. also 
you know, beating guys like Dominic Cruz. And I think, I think he does achieve that. No question about it. And, and I haven't always been on the Aljo bandwagon, but after seeing what he's accomplished here, um, you know, despite all the other things that injured TJ Dillashaw, you know, the first fight against Piotr Jan, yada, yeah. yada, yada. I think he's, he keeps putting those things to rest. And um, his story is, is not completely written just yet. I, I would not want to see him at 145 pounds, of being right. honest. I think he should stay at 135, make his money there. I think that would be a little bit too risky towards his legacy. However, um, man, he's, he's, uh, he is writing quite the story right now. This New Jersey crowd really seemed to enjoy booing all night long, whether it was the grappling or their hometown champion. <laughs> Jersey, man. Yeah, but, you know, for Aljamain Sterling, I hate to say he's an acquired taste, right? Because he's a really genuine guy, and I think the more you get to know him, the more you really do like him. But yep. Ray Longo would be the first to tell you he is a little bit of a quirky guy. And he's hard to understand, yeah. He's not necessarily the most charismatic guy in the world, even though I do think he has a dynamic personality, but he just hasn't necessarily resonated with the fan base. And when you parlay that disposition not connecting with the fan base, with his title reign, which includes the, the DQ against Piotr Jan, a fight then against Jan in the rematch that I didn't think was particularly close, but some people thought Jan won, then the Dillashaw injury, and now a close fight against Henry Cejudo, even though most of us think Aljo won. I just think he hasn't necessarily had that definitive result since the Corey Sandhagen fight that would win him some appeal in the court of public opinion. But Aljamain Sterling yeah. is going into the UFC Hall of Fame. This winning streak, when you look at the scalps on it, is absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, maybe he, with a finish over Sean O'Malley, will start to get some of that respect that he deserves. But from people like you, Kenny, and the people that he really cares about, you know, he's getting that respect. So, Yeah, and rightfully so. It, 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 this sport, again, it's just it's so different than even when, you know, when I was fighting. You know, the, 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 the level of competition, dude, and the amount of killers that are out there to get to the top, even to challenge for the belt, you got to be a damn savage. And to see him go out there, win that belt, and defend the belt, um, you know, that, that's it right there. That's the biggest statement you can make. And, um, you know, I'm curious to see what, what other challenges he does, you know, he has going forward. You know, O'Malley, in a lot of ways, might be one of the easier matchups from, from a style standpoint. Right. Um, not to say he's not dangerous because he's going to be in a lot of danger standing up with someone like Sean O'Malley. But um, he already has achieved, uh, you know, a high level of greatness already, I think. And, um, yeah, I'm curious to see where, where it all goes, man. Congratulations to the Funk Master, Aljamain Sterling, still the Bantamweight champion. More on him coming up with Longo. And right now, by the way, on DraftKings Sportsbook, Aljamain Sterling, minus 200, the betting favorite. Sean O'Malley comes back at plus 170. All right, so let us get to the co-main event. Bilal, remember the name Muhammad gets it done. I thought he won all five rounds against Gilbert Burns, whose left shoulder was compromised in round one. And let me just say this about the interpersonal nature of this fight. There's an emotional investment for a lot of us. You can't help but get close to these athletes. I'm exceedingly close with a lot of these fighters. Even Matt the Steamroller Frivola, even though my relationship with Drew Dober goes all the way back to season, the live season of The Ultimate Fighter in 2012. Matt Frivola's been on the podcast a million times. I have an intimate relationship with his father, his twin brother. He trains under Ray Longo. You're going to develop friendships. Doesn't mean it's going to bleed into the call. But let me just tell this audience, if I may, if I were to invite 
10 UFC fighters to my second wedding. If I get divorced and married again, hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad are two of those 10. But we launched a shoulder program on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel about two years ago. And we wanted to find a fighter who was on the rise, who we thought could make a run to contention, but didn't necessarily have a huge following. We wanted to make sure we had a fighter who would show up 40 plus times a year to do the show. Bilal Muhammad was the guy that you, me and Cody settled on. We handpicked him. He was unranked at the time. He had like 8,000 Instagram followers. And now Bilal Muhammad is fighting for the championship. And fuck if I'm not allowed to be happy about it. I'm disappointed for Gilbert, obviously. I'm hoping that his shoulder is okay. But Bilal Muhammad has worked for this title shot essentially for 15 years. He put all chips in the center of the table with an injured left foot. He knew that this big fight against Gilbert Burns may not materialize if he didn't take it here and now. He did. He wins it. And now he's undeniable. I mean, you didn't leave me a whole lot of room there, man. You summed uh, it up. You summed it up beautifully. I mean, what what else can you say after that? Um, what's so interesting about Bilal is that, you know, he's this guy, and, and I'm just being really honest. You look at his game, you're like, there's nothing that really stands out. You know, there's nothing that wows you. He just knows how to win rounds, and he is one of the most intelligent fighters inside the octagon that I've ever seen. He always has the right approach. And then executes on that approach. This is not this is not easy to do uh, at the highest level. Okay, and he has done it uh, in a lot of ways quietly, uh, little by little. And I think that's another reason why I've kind of slept on him. Um, And man, I mean, how many times do I need to say he has wowed me and surprised me? He has done this throughout his career, Um, and and I know I'm not the only one, um, but. Talk about all the things outside of it, John. Like we well, like we talked about, this was already a close fight for me. I, you know, I wasn't sure which way I was going to go, but all those things coming off of Ramadan, three weeks to prepare for a five round fight, and then you add on that other layer of an injured ankle. Like, come on, who's going to do that? And who's going to do that against a Gilbert Burns? Well, Bilal Muhammad is. He's that guy, and that is just amazing to me that throughout all those hurdles. Um, and all those hiccups and all the adversity that he has dealt with, all the ups and downs, um, you know, because he has had them throughout those wins uh, to see what he has accomplished in the UFC and, and the manner in which he has done it um, is remarkable. Um, and he's one of those guys, man, that I think you have to respect no matter whether he goes on to be a world champion in this sport. Um, he, he's going to be one of those guys that I think if you're smart, if you are a hardcore and if you are paying attention to this sport, he is one of those guys that will go down as one of the best welterweights that I've seen compete. Just yeah. phenomenal stuff. Ray Longo often says of George and may Rob Dwalish Willie, his student, that he's already won. And I think by winning this fight for Bilal, not unlike may Rob, he's already won whether he wins the title or not. Right. I don't think anybody wanted to give him anything. He was going to have to earn everything and looked like they wanted to do Bilal Muhammad against Shabkat Rachmanov. And maybe if he won that fight, he would have gotten the Gilbert Burns fight. So he had no choice but to take this fight. But it does make sense now. Why would Bilal want this fight at 185 pounds? <clears throat> Excuse me. That didn't make sense to any of us, right? Yeah. Because he's so mentally forged, you know, he can cut the weight. He made the weight with an injury. 
But then it started to make sense. Oh, maybe he wanted the fight at 85 because he had a bad wheel. Now, it doesn't seem as though the Gilbert Burns injury was pre-existing. Perhaps a byproduct of just biting off more than he can chew. He fought in January, then fought in April a few weeks ago. Third fight on pay-per-view in a span of 106 days. And Bilal Muhammad's a tough guy to fight over five rounds to begin with, never mind not having a training camp. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, imagine what he would have done if he had a full training camp and he was injury free. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I, I certainly would have gone his way uh, if he did have the full training camp. Um, but I think the real difference here and, and probably the real difference against probably everyone in that division is the intelligence of Bilal. He, he knows how to approach it. I also think that his team and 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 um Coaches should get a lot of credit here uh, because, man, they've turned him into an absolute strategist of the highest quality. And again, it's it's also on the athlete and the fighter to go out and execute. And he just knows how to do that. He knows how to do that when the pressure is on, even when the circumstances are uh, suboptimal. And, man, he had a lot of knocks against him, a lot of things going against him in this fight. And, man, did he pull it off. Gilbert just wasn't able to adjust. And, of course, he did have that bum shoulder, which obviously affected his performance. But, um, you know, he was throwing some right hands that did catch Bilal. Bilal has a tremendous chin. Uh, but he just wasn't able to deal with those stance switches, man. Every time you switch a stance – you know, it's one thing because you, your mind, your brain has to calibrate. You can't just go forward and go, I'm going to throw this shot. You Every right. single time someone switches their stance, you have to also switch your uh, capability of what you're going to throw, how you're going to throw it, right? Because you may get caught with a shot on that's on the opposite side. Um, and not only was Bilal switching stances like every single exchange, he'd switch stances, then he'd attack, or he'd switch stances right. and he'd faint. He was always doing something, and Gilbert's mind just could not handle it. He right. was not able to keep up with that speed of thought and the speed of stance switches. And Bilal just kind of looked like he looked like the teacher, and Gilbert looked like the student. No offense to Gilbert, but he just looked like he was being strung along, and uh, it, it was pretty to watch. And part of the reason Gilbert Burns maybe flipped the strategy and went for the takedown that resulted in the injury was because Bilal Muhammad was getting a whole lot done on the feet. And quickly, I do want to say genetically, Bilal Muhammad has a lot of physical gifts that really help him to mix martial arts, that huge head that can take a shot, and also that bull-legged nature down low. I've never seen a fighter absorb that many calf kicks in a fight and have that much redness on both their legs inside and out and be totally unfazed, not even so much as a limp. Dude, a few things. First of all, he looked big. He looked massive in there. I mean, Gilbert looked like a lightweight, and he looked like legit welterweight. I, I think the calf kicks, calf kicks that he was taking is important notice. It looked like it was not a big deal. And then after the five rounds, dude, was he even breathing? It looked Crazy. like it was just – it looked like he just did a workout. Like it wasn't like, oh, my God, you know, hands on the on the quads. Like, you know, I, I, I'm so thankful I got through that fight. It looked like it was like he prepared for that. He – he looked fine, which is just insane yeah. given the circumstances. So really fucking freak, bad night for the Bilal Muhammad haters. Right. And the notion that there's no risk in fighting Gilbert Burns because he's rendered a one arm fighter after round one is just absurd. There's yeah. still risk mitigation that has to happen. You know, I hear this avalanche of criticism. Oh, Bilal Muhammad wasn't able to put him away. Like, you got to put that guy away. Easier said than done. You got to prioritize the win. I want to quickly read a tweet, and then we are going to get to the great Ray Longo. This one from MMA Fighting's Sean Al Shadi. 
Bilal Muhammad just risked five years of momentum on short notice against a true killer in a spot where his title hopes would have been forever tanked with a loss. Whether you enjoyed it or not, that man is a proper number one contender and deserves his respect. And then this from Sean Sheehan. Ray Longo might be the most underrated coach in the history of MMA. The amount he has achieved is crazy. Huge respect. Let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy-schmancy tilt-sip-smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule-breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. Sound the trumpets, ladies and gentlemen. It is horse racing time, so saddle up for action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. So right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. All you need to do, deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app, not now, but right now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code FLOW, F-L-O, only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on a first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, oh my God. Come on, fucking do this. Holy <laughs> shit. Come on. So, uh, I think come we on. need your jacket size for the UFC Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, really. I, you know, I, I was coming home. I got lost. I, I was looking for directions to the Hall of Fame. I, I, <laughs> what the hell was going on? Are you kidding? <laughs> I want to this be is as close as fame. I've come to yeah. crying on the Anakin Florian podcast. I'm a little <laughs> bit underslept, but I'm getting uh, I'm, I'm getting emotional right now because I'm yeah. just really happy for you, for Aljo, for Matt the Steamroller Frivola. I saw Sal the Bulldozer Frivola yeah. when I was leaving the hotel hey. today, and and I said, "Hey man, what's the difference?" And he said, "It's all fucking longer." That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. let me tell you something. First, <laughs> first, I don't know if this will make you cry. Everybody loves you. I love you. I love your brother. His energy is off the charts. I, I huh. thank God thank I got you. to run into him. Uh, you guys are twins for a reason. You cut from a great cloth, and I, I don't you, know. I just I, I'm in I'm in that mood today, man. I'm just I just I don't know, man. I just love people. I really I just love the whole process and seeing people. I saw some doctors from Jersey. I haven't seen. Shout out to Robin German and uh, Oxler, Doctor Oxler. They just the friendships you build up and the acquaintances you build up are just phenomenal. Some I don't know. It was just a, a good. I haven't been to Jersey in a while. 
in that environment. And uh, it was great seeing a couple of people. But uh, the bulldozer loves you, boy. Oh, man. Sal, the bulldozer yeah. frivola. Just but, an incredible but, win for Matt. But let's start with Aljo, if we could. Yeah. And Kenny rewatched the fight this morning and felt like there was an argument to be made that Sterling won four rounds of a possible five. We felt like he certainly did enough to win this fight. And that seems to be the majority opinion. Sometimes I'll admit to being surprised, Ray, when I get off the air. And, you know, I got a text from former Cy Young winner, Padres pitcher Blake Snell. And he's like, you really thought Aljo won? And then I'm sort of surprised to hear from a lot of people who felt like Cejudo won that fight. So what were your thoughts on the fight, Aljo's performance, and everything that went with it? Oh, look, I'm going to – first off, I was I, – I, I might be – I I'm, hope I'm not slipper. I was very confident he won that fight. Like, we weren't right. even – there wasn't a concern in the corner that he lost that fight. So when I heard split decision, I'm like, uh, you know, first off, his super close fight. Look, I really – I'll get back to Henry in a minute, but I guess it was close. I guess it was a close fight, but you had to give those rounds to Aljo. What the fuck did did Cejudo beat up Aljo? Like, what did he do to win? Or they think he did to win. Like, steal around with a takedown with 20 seconds to go and do nothing. And I haven't watched the fight back, but I can tell you, going through the fight, I 3-2 at the very uh, you know, worst case scenario. I had I added four one to be honest with you. I, so I just thought Aljo. Could, I I I I, contro- I thought he controlled that whole fight. Aljo, if anything, maybe Aljo the way his style is optically maybe screwed something up. You know, that's what point, it is. Yeah, I I really think that's what yeah. it is, Kenny. Because at one point I said Aljo, fuck the takedowns, man. You're beating the shit out of this guy standing up. The take that looked bad when he was on all fours. That's all I could think about. Not that there was any damage, but optically, that didn't look good. But he was never in danger. He never – I think he was probably taking a, a breather down there. But I said, look, you did enough takedowns. You want to start faking him to open up the, the stand-up? That's for perfect. But you're winning I, – I thought Henry, the layoff, looked like it killed him. He, I thought he looked slow. He couldn't break that distance. He was getting desperate with big shots, missing big. Uh and again, it's not even a knock to him. I just I thought he was going to be way quicker, way, way, way quicker. Yeah, Ray. I, I think the awkwardness of, yes. of Aljo of how he gets out oh, because he, he'll throw himself out of position, but then he'll like dip out and it'll yes. look it'll look dramatic. But he's not getting hit with any of those shots. That's Definitely. the thing. When I'm actually looking at it, he's not getting hit with any of those shots. Um, but. What you said in the corner, Ray, I'm not here to just, ah, you know, because you're here on the show all every week. But everything that I was thinking during the fight, I think you said during the corner. Like, it was just, it was perfect. Get up, stay on, uh, stay off of all fours. If you're going to get a shot, like you and Matt were just on point throughout that fight. You could see that you guys clearly did your homework uh, and made the right adjustments. But I thought after three rounds, I thought round two was close, but I thought you guys were up three rounds. And yes. heading into the fourth and fifth, yes. I go, Henry needs a finish to win this Without fight. And doubt. it sounded like his corner knew that as well. Yes, Without and, a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I agree 100%. And, you know, look, at one of the uh, – like, again, I saw, like, after the first round, I told Aljo, this guy wants to control the – like, he wants a slow pace, Aljo. You can't let him – you can't let him do that. He wants – this is – I'll tell you, I'm going to say a day before the fight, two days before the fight, I saw something with Henry. I think I um, I understand because I look at mental stuff. I don't really physically. It is what it is. The mental stuff is hard to put your hand on. But 
I got to tell you, I saw that interaction with Henry and uh, Khabib, where he's showing him the kick, and Khabib's like looking at him like, so what? And then <laughs> Henry, he doesn't even address it. He goes on right. to something else. And Khabib's treating that guy like he was Joshua Fabia. That's the way it, that's what, and I go, Aljo, this guy's used to getting whatever the fuck he wants. He's surrounded by yes men. We yeah. ain't, this ain't happening. It ain't happening. I, you're, yeah. not, you're not letting this guy dictate one fucking thing in this fight. And I really think that's what you saw. I don't know, but I saw that video and I go, I, I think now I got him. I, I, I zoned in on something and I go, I'm not letting it go because I thought Khabib was dead on. This guy, you know, and, and I'm going to tell you something. I saw Henry. I like Henry. I like his cringy stuff. I think he's funny. I really yeah. do. I think he's great for the sport. I like the way he retired early. I think that takes balls. I love that. So, you know, as I'm telling, I'm telling Henry, look, I really do like you. You're a big fan. Yeah. Even your cringy stuff. He, you know, he says to me, he goes, even the broke back Longo stuff. Right, like, right. What? Did so you listen, hear that, Kenny, by the way? I, no, Kenny, you no. Know listen, that Kenny, real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, but uh, listen, I, somebody <laughs> tweets, tweets at me this thing and I go, nah, I, I don't, I never heard that. I thought it was a joke. And then yeah. he's telling me that. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, I can't let shit like that bother me, man. I, I you know, like, I don't know. This is so at the press crazy. conference on Thursday, Henry tried to bring May Rob Dwalishwili into the conversation. And Dana White uh, has been reluctant to allow fighters who aren't competing or right. remember when Kevin Holland and Jorge Masvidal tried to get into it at the UFC 287 yeah. press conference and Dana shut that down with immediacy. And he did the same here. But Henry's trying to talk to May Rob and he says, you know, Get your, you know, your your buddy from uh, broke back long ago. You know, I, I just, I thought it was, uh, I think it was very funny. funny. I, yeah. I, I could, I, yeah, you can't think I would be mad about that. <laughs> this, this stuff is it. But anyway, uh, Kenny, thank you very much for the compliment, and I agree with you know. I like again, obviously, I thought I was dead on with some of that stuff, but a couple of things. You know, like Henry said, he was going to get him out in three, not even close. Then they said if he right. stands up, Aljo stands up with him, he's getting knocked out. Not even close. So I think what I was looking at is a guy not getting what he wanted. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something. If he's not an Olympic gold medalist, he would have broke. I think Henry is a fucking competitor. He hung in there. looked like he was sucking for air a little bit. He wasn't going to go anywhere. He's a tough motherfucker. But when he didn't get what he wanted, things started to go. And I think even in the post-fight interview, he wasn't like, I won that fight. He said, no. well, my, my corners told me I won. That never happened. I, Sterling. I, Got yeah. all the credit from Cejudo after the fact, which I really yeah. appreciated. And, the and other thing I just versa. wanted, yeah, vice versa, say. John. Yeah, yes. I, I, you know, I, but Cejudo's both, not yeah. a submission threat at all. He has zero Nothing. submission wins as an yeah. MMA pro, so yeah. it's control, but he's no threat. Even when yeah. he got on Aljo's back, he's no threat. Minimal, minimal control too. And I have to go back and look at it because I'm in the the heat of the you know the battle with those guys, but. Yeah, I, I, I could tell you as a coach, unless I'm really slipping, like I didn't think that was a split decision. I, I, I really was getting angry in there when I heard it because I was like, oh, they're not going to fuck this. Well, kid, I'm going to make you like, even angrier now. So Matt Sarah said to Aljo after the first three rounds, we just need one more. And I agreed that you guys were up to one. Yeah. And then on the strength of those final 90 seconds or so in round four, I thought Aljo was up 3-1 going into the fifth. But I believe the clearest round of the fight was round five for Cejudo. Is that fair or no? 
Are you like again, John? I, I, I'm going to say off the top, it's fair, but I'd have to go back and look at it. I never, okay. I never felt like Henry got any momentum. Like Aljo was in trouble. Like the tide was shifting. I, I think it's Aljo maybe not doing as much as he did, making it like again. I think Aljo made it look maybe worse than it was. I agree. I told individuals. Aljo, yeah, I think. For I'm sure. Telling you, I think the optics. I and I think Kenny, you know, hit on it too. He's not your conventional stand-up fighter. He's just not. So if you're not used to looking at that, you can't see that he's not getting hit. Although he's moving kind of oddly, it's not. It might not be good. I don't. I don't yeah. know. But he's not even remotely touched. I don't believe. I. It, you know, his foot. His foot hurts from kicking him. I think the body kicks were killing him. Yeah. He. he you know. I mean, the idea was to really just occupy that center line, that center lane, not let him walk yeah. in. I thought a couple of times Aljo let him get way too close, but then he wanted to go to the elbows. It almost looked like Aljo was playing at a certain point, trying different things in there. He wasn't never threatened at all. Ray, in, in regards to that, it seems like Aljo really is coming out of that shell because, you know, for years, you were always, you'd be on the podcast, you talked about, I want to see the Aljo – that yeah. we see in training. That's yeah. the guy we want to see. And I feel like we're finally seeing that. Am I right? I mean, because so many of the things that he does, it seems like it's in the moment. Like he, yeah. he's very creative. Yes. He, you know, again, he, he really is that funk master. He's very awkward, but that's what makes him special yes. is that he's embracing that and he's bringing that out. We're seeing the confidence as he walks out to the cage, and I knew it was going to be a good night for him. Just the way the energy that he brings, he doesn't bring that same nervous energy. It seems like he's he's genuinely enjoying competing. Yeah. Yes. And I think maybe coming back from that Piotr Jan fight was the big shift, but now we're actually seeing Aljo be Aljo in the cage. Is that accurate? I think that's super accurate. And again, a lot of times why I don't worry about Aljo is because I never see him get like beat up in sparring. It just doesn't happen. Right. And, uh, you know, he just, I, I know that you can't get guys to emulate him either. It's a rare find. The guy's yeah. that different that how are you going to prepare for him? So I think Henry said it, you know, he looked at it. He thought it was going to be easy and then it's not easy. And that's the way I saw it in my head. He doesn't, he has no clue. I don't know what he's doing after times. But, <laughs> right. You know yeah. what I mean? But all of those things he does try in sparring, but then he, he doesn't – look, he's the first guy to tell you. He's a wrestler. He makes, he said in the press conference, you want to see Bangers, man, Frivola, Nas, there's guys in the gym, their pay-per-view events when they spar with each other. He He's not – you know, he's telling you that. You know, he's telling yeah. you. And that's – my biggest thing is if he wanted to be – he could be a fucking phenomenal striker. That's kind of my – and I don't want to push it with too far ahead. So I think, like you said, you were starting to see him. Look, at he was popping him with the jab. He wasn't getting counted back. I, I Like, I'll go out, Joe. You jab, but what is he looking for? What is he – just tell me. Just so he's got a very high fight IQ. I, I think he was a step of Henry in that whole – that whole fight. I think his movement offset him, the kicks offset him. Then he would do something crazy. Then he could pop with a jab. Uh, I think Henry got taken out of his rhythm and that was the difference in yeah. the fight to me. Well, if Cejudo did not respect Aljo in totality going in, he certainly does going out. He has huge respect for Aljamain's wrestling and he said that more than once after the fight. Am I allowed to ask you if you make more money with a Sterling win as opposed to a loss or am I not allowed to ask that question? Uh, no, you could ask. I, honestly, I wouldn't even know. 
of course. <laughs> but, I will, but I will say this, Aljo, he, he really, he takes care. He's a fucking great he guy. Yeah, I bet he's he just a really good dude. And he doesn't even have to, to be honest. So this you, is but. cause for concern for me. So just because we have a close fight does not mean that you can't also have a clear winner, right? Those things yes. are not yeah, mutually yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that before. Yes. Kenny and I believe this was a close fight. Very, but we believe close, unequivocally yes. Yeah, that there was a clear winner, and it was Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, but I this should be cause for concern for you. Yeah, ninety-eight percent of the scorecards that I have seen had Henry Cejudo in round five. Derek Cleary gave round five to your guy Aljamain Sterling, and this is why some of those visuals, as you guys spin it forward, should be something that you focus on. Because if Derek Cleary had scored the fifth round for Henry Cejudo, like ninety-nine percent of the masses. We'd be talking about Aljamain Sterling on the wrong side of a split decision. Man, here holy crap. Yeah, it's scary. It is. It's but scary. that's neither here nor there. He wasn't seeing things clearly. I, <laughs> uh, I do want to ask I, I you. Have, I have to go back and look at the fight, though, really. Yeah. I, like, again, I was caught up in the moment. I could just tell you what I was feeling, that he clearly won the fight. I thought the rounds were close. I just couldn't even tell you what Henry did in any round that really – made him the winner. I really can't. And I never, he never connected really with good shots. He, if they were, they were far and few in between. Look, the significant strikes were, I think, 50 ahead for Aljo. I mean, 40 or 50 ahead. Like, I don't know. What else do you want? Takedowns with the Aljo. Uh, well, Cody's <laughs> saying the theory on Twitter is that Cleary scored the fifth round for Aljamain Sterling to ensure that the proper winner won the fight based on his previous four rounds. I mean, that's not at all what you're supposed to be doing. But I have said repeatedly, I like sort of scoring a fight on totality. And uh, either way, I think the rightful winner won. Yeah. Let us get to the night's biggest winner, may Rob Dwalish Willie, though, right? (laughs) (laughs) I tell you, John, I didn't even know what he did until after we ratted the case. Swear to God, anybody else does that, it's not even funny. That guy does it. It's fucking hysterical. He is. He's a trip, man. He is he, really. He's um, He's amazing. He's a smooth criminal. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 How funny was that? Then he was like a little kid. He was running away with the coat. Yeah. And I will say too, uh, and may Rob Willie, friend of the show, maybe my favorite fighter on the roster now after he grabbed that jacket. Uh, but, you know, security's trying to get him off the top of the octagon. <laughs> and as affable a guy as he is, he's not fucking getting down for security. <laughs> right? Dana White came over, he got down, gave the jacket back. But May Rob is, he's got a little mean dude in there that he's not afraid to unleash. Like, he's a competitive oh, motherfucker. Yeah. And the bomb between those two men. It's is, is just unbelievable. Crazy. <laughs> so uh, I do want to ask you about something that maybe is a little bit of a touchy subject, but Aljamain Sterling seemed to have the crowd all week. I thought he masterfully handled everything. Yes. But then all of a sudden the fight starts and they're chanting for Henry. The decision yeah. gets announced. The crowd in the tri-state area boos the decision. And then when Cejudo gets a mic, they all start cheering. To what extent were you surprised that seemingly Cejudo had the crowd not far from, uh, from Aljo's Long Island home? I'm uh, very surprised. Yeah. But then again, Matt told me when he was the champ, he showed up in Jersey and they booed him. Yeah. So maybe maybe Jersey's a little weird. I don't know. But I thought I thought that was I don't know. That's unacceptable. Unacceptable. 
I would quickly like to get a few thoughts yeah. from you on Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns before we get to Matt, the steamroller for Vola and your Hall of Fame candidacy. Any thoughts on the co-main event? Were you able to even watch it backstage? Yeah, yeah, definitely watched it. And, uh, Bilal did a great job, controlled that whole fight. Uh, I thought he did a great job. I saw him and I said, look, man, just for transparency, I bet against you. He's like, come on, man. I go, well, it might have been to annoy Yannick. I'm not really sure. I wasn't really uh-huh. thinking about the fight, but. I, you know, I don't even, that's why I don't like doing that. Cause I, I do like everybody and I respect every fighter that gets in there. But, uh, well, it just did I thought like, a, like I thought great job. I mean, controlled every aspect. Gilbert looked like he was lost in there. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah. you know, I think Kenny, I was listening. I think this, you know, the, the, uh, stand switches, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that's why sometimes I say just to fuck with a guy, he switches, you switch with him. Then he's right. in the same position. You're, yes. you know, I mean, every, it evens it out. Exactly. But if you stand there like a deer in headlights, then you're, you're following. So a lot of times he switch, I switch, you switch, I switch. Let's go. Let's play that game a little bit. Cause you know, I could tell you from training a lot of people, there's always something that's off when they switch and mostly defensively, they have their things they like to do offensively. But defensively is where the problem comes in. And uh, he did a great job with that. He really didn't, you know, if it was to confuse Gilbert, he accomplished it, man, because Gilbert looked like he was just not present. So, you know, you always got to look to the other guy. You know, you could say Gilbert had an off night, but he's had an off night because of the way Bilal fought. Yeah, without a doubt. That's the way it goes. So I'm I'm happy for him. He earned it. Uh, Whoever that... uh, Sean Ashanti, whatever I can't pronounce his name. Uh, he's Sean he hit, Al Shadi. Sean Al Shadi. He hit yeah. dead on the head with that man. That guy put it on the line. That's what you got to no do when you're a guy like Gilbert. And they, they're not really pulling for you. That's the way you fucking do it. That's what you do. Yeah. You go in there against all odds and you succeed. Makes you stronger. He earned the yeah. right now for that shot. Let's fucking do it. Yeah, he had no choice but to take the fight. And uh, exactly. just an incredible result for uh, for Bilal Muhammad. And it's interesting to hear some of the noise from fans slash maybe haters who say, you know, that was a shell that Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad couldn't have even put him away. Right. Bilal deserves some credit for causing the injury. And Kenny, correct me if I'm wrong, but the NBA playoffs are going on right now. Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid are hurt. Right. Isn't professional sports in some part about survival? of the fittest, right? I mean, injuries are a part of pro sports. One fighter went in injured, fought through it. The other fighter got injured during the fight and wasn't able to optimally fight through it. As such, Bilal Muhammad's the winner. Like, am I on to anything there? No, 100%. They're both injured, first of all, so they're on even terms in that regard. Again, you could talk about, you know, uh, how extreme each injury was. We don't know that, but uh, still, uh, you know, look at all the other things. You know, three weeks notice, you know, it was Gilbert Burns that was coming yeah. off the fight camps who was ready, you know, he coming off of Ramadan, you know, for, for Bilal. Again, you know, pe- people, of course, you know, they, they're, they're, they're going to hate no matter what. So, yeah. oh, yeah. Law deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit, and uh, Burns is going to be dangerous no matter what. Man. And in terms of some of the venom out there, uh, you know, I try to be very respectful, and everybody deserves an opinion. But um, hey, the Anakin Florian podcast built a show around Bilal Muhammad, and you know what? He's fighting for the goddamn welterweight title. So 100%. fucking deal with it, right? That's it, 100%. Fucking deal with it. But, I want to ask you. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, 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 go. No, I'm just saying. And you know what, too? Um, we have a video that I want to roll in here uh, of Bala Muhammad after he won the title. Uh, 
celebrating with someone outside the octagon that is uh, pretty near and dear to my heart. So we're going to get you that video. (laughs) (laughs) These guys, man. So uh, there's my twin brother whose hair goes actually past his ass at this point in time, celebrating with his Remember the Show co-host, Bilal Muhammad. Those guys have been doing a podcast for two years together and building alongside their director, Cody Merrill, methodically to this point in time. And the celebration's on. You got to respect this. I don't want Bilal to get mad, but me and your brother were hugging way longer than that. (laughs) Almost to the point of awkwardness. So, <laughs> Kenny, I want to lead you on this. And, Ray, do you have like 10 more minutes or so? I got, I got a half right. hour, okay. whatever you All want. Right. Maybe we can push Petrie back a few minutes. So, Colby Covington and Henry Cejudo actively seek hatred and haters. They are looking for haters. They are looking to add to their legion of haters. Do you not yeah, agree I, with that? I think Covington for sure. I think the other guy's just a goofy, nice guy. I don't know. He's crazy. I don't think Henry, I think you, he gives you a reason to want to dislike the other guy. He's, he yes. wants, he's hatred. He's just, he's pushing the limits with everything. I don't think Henry, well, Henry's right. just cringy, goofy, whatever, you know, like kicking out pillows. I mean, you hate a right. guy for that? I don't know. I guess I hate's know. the wrong word, but yeah, he wants yeah, people yeah. to have an opinion. And there are a lot of yeah, people yeah, okay. who just yeah, yeah, really yeah. don't enjoy what comes out of Henry Cejudo's mouth. But then you have guys like Bilal Muhammad and Aljamain Sterling that receive a lot of venom. And largely, I think they've gone about things the right way. I just think for your guy, Sterling, the nature of his first win over Piotr Jan and then the nature of that Dillashaw fight, there have just been some crazy, crazy circumstances that just hurt him in the court of public opinion. But that did sadden me a little bit to, uh, to hear some of those boos Saturday night, if I'm being honest. Listen, they, it could hurt him in the court of public opinion, but I tell you, I know Aljo, all he gives a shit about is his small circle, and he's got yeah. a very tight circle. You know, he said at the press guy, he was able to buy his mom a car, a house. He loves yeah. his friends. He was happy that the original team, Matt, was back in the corner. I mean, these are right. the guys he started with. He wants everybody to share in his success. He couldn't give a fuck what those people think. I, it, as weird as that, yeah. maybe it sounds weird, he doesn't give a shit. He knows who his yeah. friends are. They got his back. Yeah. He knows who his family right. is. He's got everything going for him. He, I, I in public opinion, he, I don't right. think even right. enters into the realm of that guy's brain. Yeah, no, and a lot of people are going to be uh, hating our celebratory show today, and that is absolutely fine with me. So, uh, Matt, the steamroller for Vola. And by the way, I just have to say Ooh. about your team, man. You guys are a total inspiration, right? Yeah. I mean, City Kickboxing is as tight-knit a team as there is in the game, and you guys are right there, if not even tighter, right? Just seeing you and Al and Sarah and yeah. Frivola and Weidman coming in to support. Uh, Unbelievable. It's just an incredible, incredible bond. And Aljo on Instagram said, get used to the squad because we ain't going anywhere. That's yeah. the truth, man. Just that a special weekend. And obviously, Matt, the steamroller, Frivola got us started for you. Yeah, and let me say a couple of things, man. It was great. Look, COVID, really, everybody left. They split Aljo, Marab, they're in Vegas. They split their time up. Weidman, Weidman's in Carolina to get everybody together. And we had our, our dinner. I, I didn't think I was going to get the opportunity again. It's not, it's not about me, but, I mean, we had – I always wanted a picture with Matt, Weidman, and Aljo with their belts. But I go, how to, it's not going to happen. Nobody's even – we don't even live together anymore. Like, so we were out to dinner and we took the picture. I go, man, this is what I want. I want a picture. Great camaraderie. It was great having Weidman there. Just 
I don't know. I haven't even seen him in a while, hung out with him, but it, it actually makes it special. I think Aljo spoke well at the table and, you know, uh, you know where he's at in his life and what everybody means to him. It was just, uh, it was touching. I'll give you one funny story, though. Please. So I, I order a steak and uh, I order a cowboy steak, I think. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get like it's fatty, so you really can't swallow it. So I chew it and I'll throw it in my plate. So I must have had like eight of those pieces. <laughs> and Weidman sitting next to me goes, hey, can I have a piece of your steak? I go, yeah, sure, take a piece. He's eating the pieces no! that I was chewing on. Now, that, no! <laughs> seriously. Oh! So now, I've never seen Marab laugh so <laughs> hard in his fucking life. He couldn't stop <laughs> laughing. And he's like, right now, I would have told him, Rago, told him. That's the whole fucking joke. What do you, what do you mean you're going to tell him? I'm telling you the funniest thing I ever saw. Oh, but anyway, oh, how, that oh. is revolting. So listen, I tell the story. Why am I telling you when I didn't want him to spark because he's not a mouthpiece. There's a mouthpiece laying on the floor. There wasn't even a mat. It was on the concrete floor between the mat and the octagon with like fuzz. And th- no, don't dude, tell he, me. He stuck that don't motherfucker right me. in his mouth. Oh, my and, dude, God. He wasn't in the gym two months. I swear to God, Kenny, oh. I go. I got myself a fuck. I got myself a fucking winner, man. Yeah, I got this right. savage. Dude, that he wanted to spar savage. so bad. I go, look, I, I didn't want to spar anyway. And I go, look, by besides you of a mouthpiece. He bent over, he picked that dirty fucking filthy. I go, this guy is out of his mind. <laughs> did he even put water on it? I, 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 that I, I, I don't I mean I'm hoping okay, it's, it's irrelevant either way. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's it irrelevant. I, in my head, he just stuffed it in his mouth. And I'll never Dude. forget this guy, Sergio. He was uh he wrestled That's the with Jay Haran. <laughs> he wrestled with uh you know, and after he was done, he threw it on the floor. So this guy Sergio comes in who was, I saw he wrestled in the States with Jay Haran, very close with Jay. He goes, I lost my <laughs> yeah, yeah. I go, you don't want that. I go, you know, no, it's, on, it's on the floor over there, but Sergio, you're a nice guy. You, you really don't want that mouthpiece throw right in the fucking garbage. So I got to ask, was Chris Weidman made aware at any point that he was chewing the previously chewed steak fat that was in your mouth? After he got down like two, I told him. I go, what are you doing? Those are the pieces I chewed on already. (laughs) And what was his his reaction? No, no, no. He was... I say he was acting like he was grossed out. My but he gut feels wasn't. he didn't give a shit. He didn't yeah, care. My gut yeah. feel, that guy don't care. He don't. Right. He's. I, wow. can tell you, I got stories upon. He don't give a yeah. shit. Right. <laughs> right. He's like my head coach Obviously. Ray Longo's got the the cleanest mouth and teeth in the yeah. business. We're good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but go ahead, go ahead, get get the frivolity because there's a lot here. Yeah, and I was just gonna say I got a chance to spend about ten minutes after the fight with CJ, his son. Oh, yeah, Chris. again, great seeing CJ. And I believe his father is a Charlie yep. Rodman, his Charlie, dad. Yep, 100%. So got to spend a few minutes with them. Chris was actually a little upset with me because I was banging on New York sports on the uh, UFC 288 weigh-in show, but I think we were able to nip that in the bud, and I'm going to see him this weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina. But Matt the nice. Steamroller Frivola is wow. a totally different animal than he was yeah. three fights ago. He's in the top 15 at 155 pounds, and uh, I know Sal and the entire Frivola family – believe that you deserve a lion's share of the credit in our fighter meeting. All Frivola was talking about was your Tuesday boxing class and that you guys have spent the better part of better part of two years building awareness. He said awareness yeah, yes. like seven times in our fighter yeah, meeting. Yeah. He said it seven because I said it about seven times. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Listen, I'm going to say this about kind of joking, but you never hear me take credit for any fighter. With him, I want all the fucking credit. <laughs> this guy 
after he lost the McKinney, I had to get in his head and figure out what was going on. It almost short circuited me. I mean, <laughs> he's still going to this day. I just, I'm just, it's like a war of attrition. I'm just going to beat the shit into his head and he's going to like <laughs> kind of resist a little bit, but then do it. But uh, I absolutely love the guy. He's a, he's really fucking funny. Obviously he's got a great family. And uh, let me, let me say a couple of things about that. too. Please. We lined up really great sparring. He had, Nazim Sadikov, who's a who's a fucking killer at 155, Southpaw, uh, Bazooka, who's orthodox, sparred him Southpaw, Kenny, and looked better as a Southpaw than I wow. bet. I, like, I go Bazooka? Now, here's a guy that could definitely switch leads and do it. He was outstanding as a Southpaw. I can't say enough. I, I was watching wow. the boxing and the sparring go, because a lot of guys go, they want to help you, and they want to start off south, but then they start getting hit, and they switch back. They don't right, want to take – Right, Bazooka was – man, he was on the money. He was giving, you know, Frivola fits, and, you know, Frivola finally made the adjustments. But he saw so many left hands coming at him. I think we had that, you know, down really, really well. And one other guy, too, is like, I can't really hold the way I used to, so I want to give a shout-out to Eric Hyatt. He's been helping me with the holding, and he really deserves a lot of shine. He did a great job – Hold him for a frivolity. He had the head movement perfect. He mimicked the style perfect. So between all the sparring and the mitt work and then the, the the stuff I would do with him, I kept it. I keep it basic with him because I, you know, it's like what you guys, you know, sometimes on the broadcast when a guy doesn't have the basics and like what happened to Ferguson and he has to rely on that and they're not there. I think it's a bad look. I think it's a very bad look. So uh, we concentrated. We changed up a lot of things. More really mentally, because after the McKinney fight, I go, man, this guy's just too good. I see him in the gym, and I, I, you know, I, I yeah. can't get to everybody, but I did make it my job to stay on top of him, and you know, made a commitment to him that I yeah. wouldn't do this if I didn't think you could do it. Like, it's, you just got to trust me on this. And I will say this: he did listen. And I'll tell you, baby, three fucking first round knockouts. This one is a surprise to me. It really is because Dobe is a tough motherfucker, and I really. I'm a huge Doba fan. I like that kid. What a nice kid. I actually, I like Elliot Marshall. Uh, I don't know. There's just a great bunch of guys. And I kind of almost felt bad. I, I don't, I, I don't know why, but you know, it's a, you know, the fighting thing is yeah. just crazy, but what a, what a nice guy, but I'm um, Frivola knocked it, knocked the cover off the ball. I mean, he knocked the cover off the ball. Yeah. Without he a doubt. could not have handled this week any better. Everybody knows at least on this show, that he's a diehard New York Mets fan. He got the chance to throw out the ceremonial first pitch to his dad, Sal, his twin brother, James, as the yeah, umpire. Yeah. I mean, two major life dreams realized for Matt Frivola in the span of a week. I know he called out Patty Pimblett, Ken Flo. I don't think Patty's going to fight again this year. That ankle injury is pretty severe. I think they may do Matt Frivola against Rafael Fazeev. I know Fazeev's coming off a loss, yeah. but I think that might be your next fight, Ray. Ooh, that's a t- I take the Pimlet fight over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what are we trying to do here, though? Right? Like, well, what are we trying yeah, to do? Are we what, trying to win a world title or entertain yes, the masses? Uh, without a doubt. Look, that that's kind of what they said to him in the uh, – I thought he gave a good answer, though. I did. Think yeah, I do, I was, too. No, I, I don't I, mind the call out. You know, because I go like this. I, you know, I was like, we should be looking forward. You're way past Patty Pimlet at this point. But his response was, look, uh, Doba didn't have to give me the shot either. You know what I mean? He was ranked way ahead of me and he did give me the shot. So what's the, what's the difference? I, I don't, I'm, I'm that guy. I'll give 
a guy behind me to shot doesn't doesn't matter. So I thought he recovered yeah. from that. But at, originally, I was like, dude, we're, we're going forward. We're not going backwards at this point. I think the Patty Pimler fight is a no brain is a gimme at this point. But he's he's so stuck on Patty Pimler from a year yeah. ago to he's like can't get it out of his head. It's funny. But now that you got the number next to your name. The possibilities are endless, right? Yes. I mean, maybe you want to avoid a guy like Mataj Gamrot, for example. But, you know, hey. Benil Daryush and Charles Oliveira are going to fight in five weeks. And one of those guys is going to lose. I mean, it's not out of the realm yeah, of possibility yeah. that you guys are going to get a major fight, if not a main event next. So better get ready, yeah. Raymond. Uh, John, let me tell you something. Have you seen the top 10 in that division? Oh, it's crazy. Dude, it is. Uh, Kenny. Killers. Killers. There ain't a weak link in there. You know, they're no, just 55, not. 55 is the best division. In the I'm US telling season. you, that, that I, says something, but it, it really is. It, it, it always has been. Well, right. People try to get cute with it. You're absolutely right. It's like the Bantamweight division is on fire. And for me, yeah. it's probably number two to lightweight. But the conversation yeah. for me will always begin at 155 pounds for sure. Yeah, yeah. Dude, and, and good, luck, good luck just yeah. getting into the top 25. I mean, it's, it's uh, crazy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even joking, man. I looked at the top yeah. 10 and go, holy shit, dang. <laughs> well, do you remember fucking... when we had Sal Frivola on the show and we asked yeah, Matt, isn't like, crazy? where do you think you are? Yeah. And he was like, he's number 27. You know how hard it is to get from 27 to 14 as he takes Dober's ranking? So congratulations to Matt awesome. Frivola, yeah, one and, of the and, nicest and, guys in the game. Yeah, and hats off to Dober for really taking that fight, too. He yep. 100% didn't have to take it. Uh, man, but holy shit, did Frivola come through, man? I thought he just looks like a different animal, man. He just – and he's got the power. That's why I say when you have power – you got to be able to get it there, though, right, Kenny? That's the way yeah. without getting – because it's either he's, – he's like either – he's the example of to knock a guy out, you got to put yourself in the position to get knocked out. Right. And, you know, sometimes that goes either way, right? I, but he, I tell you what, though, Ray, he, he was he was landing the bigger shots throughout that whole without fight. Without a like, doubt. I, I don't know if I would say dominant, but he's like winning handily, I would say, yeah. that round. I mean, he was – uh, and Dober's yeah. a good fighter, very experienced fighter. That's why, you know, I actually picked Dober. I said, ah, Dober's yeah. experience, I think it's going to be what the difference. But he was, la he was landing those shots repeatedly, and Dober just didn't have an answer, man. Yeah, yeah. he looked exactly – he did what he did what, he did what exactly what he was doing in sparring, which made me happy. He was definitely awesome. He was definitely doing that. With Dober through – like, I, I, like I, I would even punch him in the head with my left hand and say, you get hit, you follow <laughs> that hand back because he ain't going to get it back right. to his head. And right. – then Dober started going low with that cross. They go, oh, fuck, he's setting him up for the highest yes, run. Yes. I want to get him back to the corner. But if you look at the knockout, he goes low and Favola follows that back. Because it's harder when you're getting hit in the face to follow it back. But he followed that back and he couldn't get that hand back. And that was the knockout right there. Yeah. So it is crazy. Uh, yeah, it just, I don't know, it was kind of picture perfect. I thought he was getting set up and, you know, that was was going to be my first adjustment in the corner. He's looking for the, you know, the overhand left. That's why he's going low. Please don't, you know, buy into that. But he followed that low. He went low. Frivola came back high, yeah. same side, you know. Beautiful. All right, I want to go four wide right now and welcome another member of the Anakin Florian Podcast family into the conversation. Big, Big gun, Brian Petrie. Oh, that's what I'm talking about, Petrie. Hey, Ray. What a weekend, my guy. Jeez, old Pete. Oh, man. That'll just hey, carry Brian. me for 
this will carry yeah. me for a while. <laughs> so I think I met the biggest Brian Petrie fan in the free world on Sunday morning here in New York City. His name's Sal Frivola. Sal, that, yeah. He, yeah. he heard every word you had to say last week, and uh, they really appreciate not just your selection on Matt Frivola plus 180, sure. but all the nice things you had to say, my man. I love I love Matt Favola. I loved him in that fight. I did not expect it to go like that. I thought yes. he was pacing the wrestling and mixing everything up. But I mean, he looked phenomenal. I mean, Drew Dober was coming up empty on a lot of those shots, and then that power that I mean, right on the chin and put him out. Some people complained about the stoppage just because Dober was you know Dober's Dober, but I thought the stoppage right. was fine. Favola looked amazing. Uh, couldn't be happier. Plus one eighty in the pocket. Thank you, Steamroller. Thank you, Ray Longo. I love it. Uh, that, that's awesome, man. Dober's had that's almost really fifty good. pro fights, and I think Matt Frivola may be the first guy to knock him out. If I'm not mistaken, he's been submitted a few times. I could be wrong. You might be that. right. You might be right. Yeah. yeah. So See, Ray, I, the last I, thing I have. Go ahead. No, I thought he was going to submit him in the fight because he was going to yeah. wanted to really establish the wrestling early and mm-hmm. then uh, proceed forward, but. God, that, that just, I mean, because I knew you know, Dober's got a granite chin and he hits like a yeah. mule. So I, I, that yeah. was that was crazy. Really, really crazy. All right. Before I let you go. And again, we appreciate the extended time here today. And just to let Mark LaMonica from Newsday and everybody else know when they ask for a longer Ray Longo minute. Ray Longo can be on the whole show every week if he so chooses. We're trying to be respectful of this man's time. Uh, But there are a few people that I respect more in the MMA space than Sean Sheehan. And obviously, he puts you over on Twitter. Oh, yeah. And feels like your coaching resume can be put up with anyone in the game. And I just want to say, your success has transcended decades and eras in mixed martial arts. And if there was a universal mixed martial arts Hall of Fame, there's no doubt as a coach, you're going in first ballot. So from the Anakin Florian podcast family that you have given so much of yourself over the last eight years, congratulations. You're the goat. Well, Enjoy man, it. Yeah. You're going to make me And if there's now. anything else I'm, we can I'm, do for you, no, checks in nothing. the mail, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. But, uh, no, th- really, thank you, man. Look, it means a lot. It really does mean a lot. And, uh, People say I'm under what is what is underrated. I I, I don't feel. Look, I get a lot of attention and shine. <laughs> I really don't. I don't feel like that. You know what I mean? I yeah. really don't. I'm super proud and grateful for the accomplishments that I've had with my guys. But look, it's all them too. Like I don't want to. You know that's why I was goofing with Favola. Like uh, that guy, I'm taking every credit for. But then that's right. a joke. I like but, that. But uh, but everybody else, man. You know, look, these guys got their own style. I just try to you know, be a conduit of information, lead them in the right direction. What I think they could either agree or disagree, but I've been, you know, and I kind of said this at the dinner, man, I've been really blessed to work with just great people and great athletes from the Long Island area that, you know, really made me look better. But look, I, I, I was always passionate about martial arts. And I said this to somebody, I mean, it's been really good to me. I've had a great life in martial arts. I think we said this on the last podcast. I don't know, but yeah. And I just want to see these guys have a great life in the martial arts. You know, it's just it's uh when you really have a passion, you enjoy what you're doing, and you know, Kenny, you you can attest to this. It's what you're not working. Yeah, that, you know, you you're really not working. You're really having fun now. These times are getting stressful because. I want to see these guys win, and you know, <laughs> it is getting a little, you know crazy but i i don't i don't really even feel like i'm under uh whatever the word is i feel like i'm 
right where I want to be. And I'm so thank you very much for the nice words and Sean Sheehan. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. But I, that's why I say, I appreciate all the comments. I really do. I mean, I'm grateful Sorry, I lied. for everything. <laughs> I lied. I have two more questions. Oh, go keep going. Man. First question is cold brew at 6 PM. What are we doing here? Yeah, trying I'm, to stay I'm up all mess. night. I'm all I do. I got back to the hotel. Yeah. What time did you get back to the hotel? Oh, I don't even want to tell you, man. I slept 90 minutes and then just did five hours of voiceover work. I'm on complete I fucking love. fumes right now. I mean, I mean, I got back to the hotel at three. I couldn't get to bed till five. And then Sarah was, uh, you know, he wanted to leave on one. nine. At the hotel. I, I got to say, you know, it was, it was great seeing everybody. But like right about 10 minutes before he was dropping <laughs> me off, I was like, you know what? This is about enough, though. This is good. I'm good. I, we don't even have to talk for another two weeks. Kenny, how would you deal with him in London? Seriously, how would you handle Barely. him? Barely. Yeah, barely. <laughs> Barely. We, were no, doing, we were doing good. And then I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I, I, I can't take it. I'm, I'm too old for this shit. All right. Quick two What's questions the, on the way yeah. out. Number one, to what extent do your daughters give a shit after a big weekend like that for their father? At this point, they're super into it. and They're very happy. That's so cool. they get take they get texts from their friends. What's going on? And, you know, yeah, they, they that's love great. It. That's cool. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're Super happy. I mean, for a long time, I don't even know if they knew what I did, to be honest right. with you. But now, and it, and it's only because of their friends. Like, wait, that's your dad? Are you fucking right. kidding me? Like, right. you know, right. like, what are you talking about? They have no, <laughs> no clue. They're, yeah. they're great kids. They got great jobs. They're uh, just super easy and good yeah. stuff. Yeah. As they get older, they appreciate it more. So maybe yeah, uh, Kenny and I and Brian Petrie have something to uh, look forward, to, look to, forward yeah. to. Can you imagine bringing a boyfriend home? And this is my dad, Ray Longo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. And my final question is. Yes. It appears as though they would like Aljamain Sterling to defend this title against Sean O'Malley August 19th at UFC 292 in Boston. Now, Aljo has expressed interest in maybe September in Las Vegas. Kenny feels like you can still take three weeks to enjoy some rest and relaxation and then get back into training camp. But August 19th is only about 13 weeks away. Uh, do you believe that is too soon or do you think that could actually happen? Uh, man, I'd have to talk to him. I don't think he's injured. And I'm, I'm going to say, look, Aljo's his own guy. He'll make that decision. But I agree with Kenny. If he wanted to do it, but look, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. It seems like I, I'll agree with Kenny. It seems like enough time. Take uh, the end of May off, go crazy, maybe the first week of June or whatever, yeah. and then get back on the wagon if that's what you want. He said it in the press conference. He wants to fight off, and he doesn't get right. paid if he doesn't fight. So I'm going to say based on that statement, He'll jump. He, it, that's a possibility. All right, Ray Longo made it every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Congratulations, man. Well, thanks, man. Thank Ray. you very much for everything, guys. Great Ray. weekend, man. I'll see you during the week. Just hey, incredible. I'm, Just I'm going to call you later. I want to tell a couple of things off air to you. I'll be in my hotel room all night, brother. <laughs> awesome. Buddy. Yell take at it, him, take Ray. It, Yell take at him. It, no, 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 no. All, all funny stuff. Take it easy, Good. guys. I hope. <laughs> See you, Ray. Ray Longo met it every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And we try to be a humble show. Oftentimes we refer to ourselves as the little engine that could. Mm -hmm. But if I could lack humility for a second and just say in 2015, yeah. we settled on Ray Longo as the coach on this show. And mm -hmm. then in 2021, we decided to give Bilal Muhammad a show. And uh, mm -hmm. Kenful, I think we made some pretty good decisions and um, we're, yeah. happy. we're happy. We're happy on was this Sunday. 
I, I could maybe take 10% of, of, of that yeah. credit. But, uh, John, I think you're going to be a producer one day, dude. Like, you, you know how to huh. identify talent. Mm-hmm. Seriously, dude. So, yeah. Really, really happy for the entire Anakin Florian podcast team and channel for a big weekend. Brian Petrie is with us. Big gun. My man. How'd it go for you this weekend, kid? <laughs> Boys, your boy had a weekend. Your boy may be the best of the year so far. Wow. You know, your, your boy's been cold. Your boy's been really cold. But I, I went 10 and 2 on my picks overall uh, awesome. and then um, and hit some really big spots and, and got some dogs. Obviously, I rode with all. I, I did a parlay for the Anakin Florian parlay. Not our parlay, but my own parlay. Bilal, Aljo, Steamroller, because they're close to the close to the family here. Year. that obviously hit that was big uh unbelievable yeah i mean just i'm, I'm excited i i get chir- i got chirped in the comments because you know your boys were nice right my five unit plays <laughs> haven't played out right and i got hammered about my crone jordan pick right right and sometimes when i look at a sheet with no lines with no breakdown something just thunder strikes me and that fight did i said man jordan i just think is going to be too much on the feet you know and crone doesn't have takedowns so I obviously went heavy on that and I just got hammered. So I did have to go back and, and do a little victory lap. You know, you can hammer me when I lose, but I'm going to dance a little bit. I'm going right. to salsa a little bit when right. I win. Yeah, and, that seemed uh, like the duh, the duh pick of, yeah. of the week, man. I mean, you crushed that one. Yeah. And everyone, everyone, when you pick Crone and you've been hot and you're you're Kenny Florian, so, you know, people listen. A lot of people, other people that I listen to were picking Crone. I'm like, what am I missing? So now I'm second guessing myself, but, you know, we roll well, with I, it and, and go ahead. Well, I, I think Jordan ha- has a tendency of getting reckless sometimes. Yeah. He almost becomes too entertaining. Gets well. Mm-hmm. That was the most disciplined I had seen him. That's yep. the Jordan that I th- I've been kind of waiting to see mm-hmm. to be like, okay, this kid actually wants to be like a top five guy. He wants to be a champion in the sport as opposed yeah. to I want to be entertaining and have fun fights. Like right. he took that one seriously. He respected Crone and yep. just dominated. I mean, Crazy. Yeah, that was not a good fight for Crone at all. Like and Jordan, you know, a lot of times people forget you guys brought it up on a broadcast, but he takes a lot of fights on short notice. And he's only like 27. He's a young kid that's gonna get better. Striking's great. Take down the fence is something that needs to be worked on. But I really wasn't worried. And then Crone's out there pulling guard and butt scooting yeah. and just you know, yeah. walking forward and getting punched. It was like I I don't know what that was weird, but we'll take the dub. I'll take it. Yeah, five-unit hit for you on Charles Jordan, and you really didn't have to sweat it at all over those 15 minutes. And I just have to tell you guys, and perhaps I could have called Kenny Florian to impart this information. I've never, in 12 years of doing this job, had a have a fighter philosophically make these type of changes like Jordan, approaching Mm -hmm. his career in a certain way, prioritizing last year fighting in Paris – over mm-hmm. like trying to make a run he's no mm-hmm. longer doing the short notice thing it's all about strategy over entertainment he has completely flipped the switch on his career and mm-hmm. i think he's a guy who could potentially get to the top 15 so congratulations to charles jordan and i just have to say ken flow really likes something about what you were seeing from yan shaunan during fight week or what was it kenny because you abstained yeah. on the show for yan shaunan and jessica andrage and then you send out a text message to the group that you wanted to fire on Yan Shaunan plus 160. So what led to you making that pick late in the week? It, it was just a, I don't know. It was a level of focus that I don't think I've seen out of her 
Um, and then just watching stuff on fight week, she just looked like she was sharp, man. And again, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't like seeing a whole lot of pad practices, you know, but I'm seeing her hit uh, the pads. I'm seeing the folk and dude, she looked like an absolute killer. And I've just been seeing a little bit of a decline on Andrade. And when I mm-hmm. saw that, I said, ah, I got to hit on this one. I'm going to, I'm going to need this one. And, uh, man, did I, yeah. Big brain moves, big brain moves. We also congratulate Vina Janji Doba, Kennedy and Zechaku, Mavsar Ievloyev. How about Diego Lopez to <sighs> defeat, though, right? Whoa. What a beast. Fun well, to really watch. Excited yeah. to see Great hair. Beautiful. I love his hair. Yeah. The guy's hair is yeah, fallout, The fallout boy hair. That yeah. Was, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Hair. yeah. <laughs> he was really inspired being in the corner of Alexa Grasso when she won the flyweight championship, rested the belt away from Valentina Shevchenko. And then to get the news that he was making his UFC debut around the time that he got the news that Irene Aldana was stepping into the title fight. Just a huge, huge week for those Francisco Grasso trained athletes. And I think Diego Lopez, it took him a while to get to the UFC, but I think he's going to be heard from in the future. All right. As we spin it forward to Charlotte, North Carolina this weekend, Ken Flo and I are going to have a big fucking hug, maybe even a French kiss when I see this kid on Thursday <laughs> for dinner, but very excited to see you brother. Quickly. We update the standings before yes. we get the UFC fight night, Rosenstrike versus Almeida. Don't forget, by the way, 3 p.m. for the main card on ABC this Saturday. But Petrie goes 4-2 and two on the week, including the five-unit hit, plus $565 on the week. Kenflo, 3-4, and four, minus $205. Still, though, a big lead for Kenflo, about $2,700. All right. We will begin, folks, with the featured prelim. A fight between two veterans with a combined 49 UFC appearances coming in. Court McGee, minus 180. Matt Brown, plus 155. Petrie, we'll start with you. Brown, one of the more yeah. decorated knockout artists in UFC history, making his 30th UFC start here. He's going to be 43 in January. Perhaps that is part of the reason why he's a big underdog here. He certainly mm-hmm. was competitive last time out, though. You were there over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Columbus, Ohio, split loss to Brian Barberina. How do you see him faring in the role of underdog against Court McGee? Just a couple grizzly vets with some body hair to match. You got to love this. This is a classic fight here. Matt, the immortal Brown, Ohio's finest. He's as tough as they come. I mean, he always has been. I mean, the guy's the guy's nails. But, you know, I think 42, going to be 43. He is slowing down. The Barbarina fight, I think he won the fight. I, I do. But right. he also really slowed down that fight as well. He, he started really hunting for takedowns to try to get on Barbarina. It was kind of an awkward performance. I thought he did, did better if he just stayed on the feet. And Court McGee, always been a grinder, coming off a knockout over Jeremiah Wells. Very rarely does Court McGee get knocked out. Jeremiah Wells is a young stud here. But uh, he's been a grinder. Stand-up's not perfect, but what he lacks, he just he moves forward, and, he, and he's either going to put pressure on you with punches or grappling. And I like to see him get back to grappling because Matt Brown tends to give up takedowns. He's hard to get down in the first round, but if you keep chasing wrestling him and keep going maybe uh second and third round he's gonna give us some takedowns and fade especially being 42 here i like court mcgee winning decision i think the first round is gonna be a little shaky because you know matt brown can crack but after that i, I see court winning decision for sure can flow a couple guys from your era in a lot of respects yes. court mcgee matt brown who do you like yeah, I got a soft spot in my heart for these guys for for that reason. I, we called Court McGee's tough finale when he won as well, John, I believe. And yeah. uh, Matt Brown's been around forever, man. And for me, 
I, I, I will put him right up there with Anderson Silva. When it comes to strikes in the clinch, comboing mm-hmm. off of knees and elbows, study that, dude. If you want to see how to put together elbow-knee combinations, study Matt Brown, study Anderson Silva, two of the best in the game in that particular position. But I, I think Brian's right, man. I think Court McGee um, may not have as many miles. I think he's got a couple more ways to win. Matt Brown is going to be extremely dangerous again in that clinch and early in the fight, but I think if Court McGee can weather that storm and integrate grappling and some long-range strikes, I think he can win this fight by decision. All right, also with welterweight main cat opener, Alex Morono and Tim Means. Morono minus 215, the favorite. Tim Means business, the underdog at plus 180. 27th UFC start for Timmy Means. Last win all the way back in June of 2021 against Nicholas Dalby. Went to a split against Max Griffin his last time out on the other side. The great white bry, Alex Morono. Had won four in a row. Got stopped by Santiago Ponzinibbio last December. That halted the win streak, but Morono... Favored here, perhaps prohibitively so, against Timmy Means. Who do you like? Yeah, this fight reminds me of my Little League days. Just, I whiff on both <laughs> these guys all the time. Morono doesn't ever get proper respect from me. I don't know what it is. I never give him proper respect. And Tim Means always got plus money. I always take a little look at it. You know, it's a sick little habit, but not today. Morono's only 32, one of the best minds in MMA. He's his own coach. He coaches a lot of people. He's a very smart fighter. He breaks down fights analytically. I like his mind. And he could be five in a row. He got Hail Mary knocked out against Ponsonibo, a fight that he was winning that he dropped Ponson right. in as well. He could be five in a row here. Morono has to use his kicks and volume to get in. Tim Means, 6'2", long frame. You don't want to You want to avoid the clinch with the dirty bird, okay? You don't want to get in there with the dirty bird. He's nasty in there. Use your kicks at distance. Use your punches to come in. And I think he can do that. You know, the number is slightly higher than I like to play Morono at. But you know what? We had a good week. Bank rolls fat. So uh-huh. still, I'm okay with it. Give me Morono by decision. All right, Alex Morono, the pick to click for Brian Petrie. Ken Flo, what are your thoughts on these two at a buck seventy? Yeah, I'm going to keep it real simple here. I like Morono as well. I, I think there's more ways from their win. I, I don't think he has many miles uh, on him as Tim Means. Tim Means, uh, I love to watch him fight, man. This dude loves to move forward, uh, always looking for the finish. But I think Morono wins here. And uh, I'd like to put a two-unit play on Ooh, there you go, Ken. There you All go, right, Ken that Flo. $430 wager on Alex I like Marone. that. That's a smart bet right there. All right, next up, huge fight at strawweight. Seventh-ranked McKenzie Dern is minus 180 on DraftKings Sportsbook. Angela Hill plus 155. You got Hill back in the rankings now, number 14, after closing out her 2022 with a couple of straight wins. Two of McKenzie Dern's last three fights have been main events. That includes mm-hmm. a majority decision loss to Jan Shaunan last October. Bry. Hill, 38 mm-hmm. years old, making her 23rd yep. UFC appearance. You give her any shot here against Mackenzie Turner? What? Oh, of course. You know, this one breaks my heart. I am very fond of both these fighters. Um, the line wants you to take Hill. Her takedown defense is improved. It's sitting at 77%. Her striking, especially in the clinch, is just double nasty. But Dern's is so light out on the ground. And Dern has made several statements that she's improving her wrestling. I love her statement after the Yon fight. She got her down twice. Two submission attempts. Says, I need to be better there. I should be finishing fights when it hits the ground. I love that mental. I love that going in there going, no, I know how good I am and I should have finished on the ground. Yon 
Yash Nan, no chump. I mean, Yash Nan could be fighting for the title. Yeah. And uh, I just love Angela Hill. You know, she hasn't been submitted since 2019, only two times in her UFC career. So the numbers scream in Hill, but I got to go darn her grappling. So good. I think she has made uh, improvements on her wrestling. Her striking isn't the best technique, but what she lacks in that is aggression, chin and toughness. She'll keep coming forward if it can't get it to the ground. Um, and I think, you know, Dern has flawless cardio, world-class cardio as well. Now that's something that she's really improved on. So I like Dern. I, I want to go by sub, but I don't want to be your typical little, you know, chalky bitch. So I'm going to go sir, Dern by sub. Uh, wait, did I say that wrong? Excuse me. No, I yeah. messed that all up. I apologize. Take two. Dern by sub. <laughs> I'm not, not going right, to do the whole thing. I up. Minus 180 on the money line. Perhaps we should give you guys the opportunity to bet some propositions. I think we still have some work to do when it comes to the scoring system. But let us get to Angela Hill here for a second, Kempflo. In terms of the schedule, she fought four times in 2020, three times in 2021, three times in 2022. Now getting her first start of 2023. She's had a lot of time to prepare now for the biggest fight of her career. Crossroads fight, I think, for both women. Who do you think takes it? Yeah, I agree, man. Um, this is a tough one for me. It really is. I- I'm a huge Mackenzie Dern fan. It's great to see her transition that success that she had in jiu-jitsu over to mixed martial arts. Uh, I do think she's been working on her wrestling. She has been working on her striking. I would have liked to see more development, though, and that's what's getting me to pause on her. Um, she is one of the sweetest girls as well. She's just so dang nice. I, I know her dad. Great guy as well. Great family. Um but I don't know. I would have liked to see more efficiency out of her wrestling. And I think just that that's taking her more time. And against Angela Hill, who's been working on her wrestling for a very long time now, is very confident there and is dangerous in the clinch. I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is a great fight for Dern unless she goes out there and surprises me. If she is making all that improvement uh, with her wrestling, then shit that's great she can make a run for the title i just don't think she's there quite yet um and uh, i think on on the feet she's going to be outstruck i think she's going to have a tough time uh getting angela hill down and angela is going to win by decision but um very interesting one and Ken Flo is going to be octagon side, which is very excited for me. I'm going to be distracted by his hair, his beautiful wife, everything. <laughs> they better put the camera on him. That's all I got to say. Oh, well, it's just Legend. so funny, right? Because my tickets, my two tickets, perhaps I'm peeling back the curtain more than I should. They're not on the floor. But when yeah. Kenny Florian's sitting in my seats, oh, my tickets are going to be on the floor. <laughs> or I'm not showing up, Zach Candido. <laughs> All right, big fight at welterweight here. I'm really fascinated to see how Mm -hmm. this fight plays out. I think it's the right test for both guys at this stage of their respective careers in the UFC. Ian Machado, Gary, minus 240. D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez is plus 200. So D-Rod was riding a four-fight winning streak before being submitted by Neil Magny last November 5th. Gary's still undefeated. He's training all over the world, getting different looks primarily, though, at Killcliffe FC, of course, in South Mm -hmm. Florida. Gary, 4-0 in the UFC, 11-0 overall. Coming off a stoppage win over Song Kanan, in which he was tested, Bry. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this one, Ian Gary, Danny Rodriguez at a buck seventy? Hey Vegas, nice try. I smell a rat line from the parking lot. Vegas wants us to load up on D Rod here, right? They want us to load up. Gary's this overrated prospect. He got dropped in his last fight. The line was set way too high. I, I'm going to see a lot of people taking D Rod as the underdog darling here. Not me. Not me. I see it. I smell the rat. 
<clears throat> I'm not falling for it. I think Gary is as advertised. I think D-Rod looked really bad against Magny. Could have had an off night. That was a very weird performance. I believe Kenny and I both were on D-Rod. It was a very weird performance from him. But Gary is cocky, sure himself, and people don't respond to that right away unless you are proven. He's not proven yet, so people are like, look at this cocky Irishman coming in. But I think he is that good. I really do. I think this is a great fight, John. You nailed it. I think they're both going to stand up. I think D-Rod might uh, initiate some takedowns. I think we're going to see a little bit of what Ian Gary can have on defense and whatnot. But I like Gary by decision. I think he's going to piece him up on the feet. I think he's too fast, too clean, too sweet. Uh, give me Gary at minus 240. I almost extra unit it because I'm feeling myself a little bit. But I want to I want to pull it back. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pull it back. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. too. So just Gary, no extra unit. Kenny, I believe the ceiling is wicked high on both of these guys. I do believe Ian Gary has the chops to be a world champion. I'm not sure I can say that about D-Rod just yet. Gary has two inches in height here. No edge in reach, though. How do you see it playing out? Gary, minus 240. Ian Gary versus D-Rod. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, D-Rod is uh, he's a heavy hitter, man. He's as tough as they come, continues to walk forward. Uh, great chin. Um, but I think, you know, the lack of footwork is, is what's going to hurt him here against Ian Gary. Ian Gary is slick, dude. And I think he's really coming into his own. He's getting much more confident now. And I just think he's got more tools. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him get a finish over D-Rod. I know he's got a great chin. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see Ian Gary get some kind of TKO or even a knockout. But um, I, I think Ian Gary is that good. And uh, I like him here. I, I too, was uh, playing with uh, another extra unit or two on Ian Gary, but I, I will withhold. That makes me feel good. Good. All right. Both guys pretty convicted there on Ian Gary. Co-main event. Couple of top flight light heavyweight contenders. Johnny Walker minus 120. Anthony Smith, the even money underdog. Walker coming off that resounding finish of Paul Craig. That came at UFC 283 in Rio <laughs> earlier this year. He's won two in a row. And that came after a bit of a rough patch on the other side, former world title challenger Smith making his first appearance since that ankle injury sustained in the loss to Magomed Ankalaev. That was UFC 277 last July. You may recall Smith missed weight as a backup in Rio de Janeiro for the title fight. And now we see what he can do in his 54th professional MMA fight against Johnny Walker. Crazy. Brian Petrie, who do you have? <clears throat> this was a tough one for me because Johnny Walker's a guy who he's beaten two guys that, you know, Paul Craig is definitely a specialist and I and Kutalaba, you don't know who the fuck's going to show up on fight night, right? He submitted Kutalaba, which I don't know many people had that ticket, but he's super athletic and super dangerous and he's really kind of finding his groove and it looks like he's finding his confidence, but still, I still get the visions of him just getting knocked stiff. You know, the chin is still a question to me. Anthony Smith, on the other hand, great on the desk, great analytical, has a, you know, him and Bisming are killing it on that side of stuff, but he didn't look great as a backup of the way his body and just the way, I mean, he missed weight, obviously, but he didn't, I don't know, it was a, it was a backup spot last minute, whatever. I'm not going to read too much into that, but he didn't look great. It's a shame what happened in the Ankalaya fight, but before that, he was riding some momentum. I wonder if, like, you know, I'm always concerned with these guys who do a lot of TV if, if they're one foot in, one foot out or not. You know, I've, I've had the same questions about Michael Chiesa and Dom Cruz in the past you know, where's this at? You know, he's had 50 fights. Is he burnt out? Is he not, you know, what are we doing here? But I'm going to go Smith because of the plus number here. I think, you know, he's a big boy, six, four. He's not going to be intimidated by Johnny Walker. I think if he lands, he's, he could hurt Johnny Walker. I think he's better on the ground, but Johnny's just so explosive that, you know, any first round KO at severe plus money is something to look at, but uh, give me Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith plus 100 right now on DraftKings Sportsbook. Ken Flo, who do you have in the co-main? 
gosh. I, these two are two of the most difficult guys to pick. Yeah, like, I don't know. You never know which guy is going to show up. Okay. It's almost impossible. Uh, there's times where I've written them off. There's times where I've, you know, I've picked them uh, with a lot of confidence and they always throw me off every single time. So what kind of analytical skills am I using to pick this fight? I'm throwing dice here. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm being honest. Uh, Johnny Walker, I just think has a better chance of finishing, finishing this on the feet. I think he's going to be a little more explosive. I think he's certainly going to be faster on the feet. Anthony, Anthony Smith has a better chance of winning this and finishing this on the ground. So, you know, kind of a striker grappler matchup in a way. Uh, Anthony Smith has some, has some skills in the clinch, but I like Johnny Walker here. I think he's got to prevent the takedown though. Does he do it? Who the hell knows? All right. We will go right back to Ken flow on the main event. It is at heavyweight Jailton Almeida. Versus Biggie Boy, Jarzinho, Rosen, strike. Now, many fight fans believe that Malia Gino, Jailton Almeida, can make a title run at light heavyweight and heavyweight. For now, it's going to be amongst the big boys. He's a minus 560 favorite, Ken Flo, against Rosen, strike, who comes back at plus one, plus 430. Biggie Boy with a knockout of Chris Dawkins last year. That sort of resumed his ascent to contention on the other side. The Brazilian is on fire, 4-0 with as many finishes in the UFC. He has won 13 straight overall. Big price on Almeida. Ken Flo, your thoughts on the main event that you will come witness live Saturday night? Yes, sir. Yeah, Yarzinho, um, he's one of those guys that I think he started off hot and then you kind of started to see uh, you know, some vulnerabilities in his game. And I don't know where he's at at this stage of his career. I, I think Jailton, I, I'm still looking to get more information on him and what he's all about. But from what I've seen, he is so explosive. He's a tremendous athlete. He's going to be fresher. He's going to be younger. And I think because of that, he's got a lot of things going for him. Wouldn't be surprised to see him go out there and, and get a first-round knockout. Now, Rosenstrike, very dangerous as well. He's capable of absolutely putting the lights out uh, too, but I think Jailton Almeida um, just might be the real deal here. Uh, I, I I like him to win this one. Minus five sixty is a Probably big number, Brian Petrie. It yeah. is. What do you think? Uh, what do you think? What do you think about this heavyweight <laughs> I mean, event? What, what type of chance you get, Biggie Boy? Uh not. I mean, listen, I'm a Jailton guy. I mean, I I listen. I yeah. I text John Anik very rarely. I don't want to bother him. Man, I text him on fight night after Jailton won. I believe it was right. against Parker Porter, and I went holy. Shit. Look at these stats. His last time out, 45 strikes to one over Shamil. TKO in the second round. 17 to one against Sirkali. Choked in the first round. 18 to zero against Parker Porter. 30 to zero in his debut. I mean, this guy has uh, Chamayev level stats. Like, this guy is the real deal. He did get cracked against Shamil. That one big punch right in the, on the stand-up, then he rushed the takedown. Uh, proved that, you know, he, he, he can take a shot at heavyweight because that's a little thing. People are saying he's a little light in the ass. Maybe he is a 205er, but I like this kind of new version of heavyweight, two, high 220s, low 230s, almost like a Stipe, right. and he's a specialist. He's athletic. He's big. He's strong. He doesn't look like he's undersized in there against these guys that are weighing 260. He's dominating on the ground. And Biggie Boy, I would like, you know, the guy has tremendous power, and I would like him a lot more in this fight if he threw more. He's very patient. He's very willing, and he's not all that explosive and quick, quick muscle. He kind of sets everything up. If he touches you, lights out but i don't think you know, look at the stats i don't think he's touching almeida i like almeida here first round that's what i'm gonna hammer don't know if i'm gonna go tk or submission but i think almeida is gonna walk through him and, and look dominant here uh and i'm high high as i can be on this kid 
All right, 84% of the bets right now on DraftKings Sportsbook have been on Jarzinho Rosenstrike, but that doesn't speak yeah, to the handle, no. right? A lot of yeah. people maybe see that big number, but that doesn't speak to the handle. We'll see how it goes down this Saturday, main card, 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC. For more from Brian Petrie, find him on social media, Brian Petrie MMA. He also does the MMA Takes podcast. Appreciate the extended time, my man. Congrats on a big week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Talk hey. to you next week. I'll see you. Congratulations to the Anakin Florian podcast and Ray Longo. We're doing big. We make stars over here, Let's guys. Go. Okay, We're doing things. See you, boys. There see he is, dude. Brian Petrie, with us every week for the main event challenge. And the latest star that we're building actually is, uh, is one Brian Petrie. I quickly wanted to say in closing, my son Hunter had his name on the octagon hand-painted as part of a UFC collectibles promo that they did. And it got me a little bit oh. emotional because my son has had a lot of issues. He's almost five. He's been at a pediatric feeding institute for much of his life. He really doesn't eat a whole lot. And so he's home right now with double ear infections, strep throat, and a big fever. And he can't take antibiotics orally. So this kid is going to the doctor every every day to get these baby antibiotic shots in his legs that they give to babies, right? And they give them to babies because babies don't walk. But my son is almost five. So he's getting these baby shots in his legs, bro. And he can barely fucking walk. So my wife's dealing with all that at home. And then I see my son's name on the goddamn canvas. I'm trying to hold it all together. It almost brought me to tears. But thanks to UFC Collectibles for uh, that very nice offering for uh, my baby boy. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks to everyone for supporting the show. Really appreciate it. Obviously, a big week for us. Video form, of course, on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Clips on the Anakin Florian podcast channel. You can also see Remember the Show with Jason Anakin Bala Muhammad live this Thursday over on the AF channel. We're back with you next week. We'll see how it went in Charlotte and look ahead to the next UFC fight night on May 20th that at least right now I don't believe has a main event because Raquel Pennington and Irene Aldana were pulled. Pennington will back up Aldana and and uh, Amanda Nunez in Vancouver. Thanks to our guests, Brian Petrie, Ray Longo, our producer is Cody Merrow, AnnaFlorianPodcast.com for the merchandise, KennyFlorianMartialArts.com, and Millions.co for the One More Sleep merchandise as well. We're out of here for this week. For Kenny Florian, I'm John Anik. Until next week, health is wealth. Be safe. Don't text and drive. And to the Bilal Muhammad haters, my condolences. Have a great week. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. 
and 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. 